following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. I want to do our, our next installment of the go of the gospel. Um, this has just been a really cool uh, series are focused for us right now because I'm seeing the Lord moving by the Spirit even as we choose to focus on this reality, the, the movement of the gospel and the movement of the gospel through his people and really the calling and the commission that he's given us in that. Um, I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week or if you didn't watch online, there's a, a prophetic word that came during worship that is really... Um, I feel like there's something that's a catalyst in it that's igniting something in us as a people in this area of going on behalf of the gospel and and taking that. And so uh, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go online and listen back to that. It was a word that Henry brought. um, And I've listened to it a couple of different times and the Lord's highlighted different pieces to me but part of it is I know that it's, it's igniting something from the inside out. It's not just responding to the words, but there was a spirit released within an anointing released with it. And um, so I just feel the wind of the spirit on that as we look at the reality of the commission of God to take his message, to take the gospel uh, and to go with it. So you know, just in review, last week I, I talked about the message itself. I said that I wanted to talk about the gospel and what we're talking about when we talk about the gospel. And, um, and that one of the things I believe that the Lord's doing in this time is reminding the church and convincing the church again of the power of the simplicity of that message. We talked about the fact that sometimes we can spread the seed of that message, and we don't see the result that we want to see, and so somehow we think we have to mess with the seed. Somehow we think we have to augment the seed or change the seed. Uh, We talked about genetically modifying the seed because we want to see a different result, and the parable of the seed and the sower actually says it's not about the seed. The different result has to do with the soil. Don't mess with the seed. The seed is complete in itself. And the, the gospel is that, that seed, the reality of who Jesus is and what he did and what that means for us. And so last week we talked a little more about the gospel itself. And one of the things that I am uh, asking the Lord to do in me, that I'm crying out to him to do in me, is to fully and wholly convince me of the power of the message. Because if we really were convinced that it is what what Paul said, which is the power of God unto salvation, if we were really convinced, there would be nothing that would keep us from going with that message. There would be nothing. But there's some part of us that sometimes thinks, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. And so I'm asking the Lord, would you remove any doubt that I have? Would you make that so real to me that, that I just you can't stop me from going forward with that? 
We talked about the fact in the, the title last week was the goal of the gospel. And we talked about the fact that the goal of the gospel is transformation and movement. That it, it's the, the gospel isn't just about change, it's about transformation. Where one thing ceases to be and another thing begins to be. It's about coming from death to life. And then that, that, that message in and of itself is one of movement. It's meant to continue to reproduce. If we don't see that message reproducing in the church, again, it's because we've somehow modified the seed to the point that it no longer functions in that reproductive way. <laughs> the seed of the gospel carries in and of itself a commission to now become a messenger of the gospel. And so we want to receive the fullness of that. We want to walk that out. You carry the seed of transformation. You carry the, the seed of the kingdom of God, the transforming spirit of God. And so that's why he can commission us to go with that. That's why he can trust us with that. So that was last week. Pastor Bob had opened up the series and his messages were titled, Who in the World Are You? Well, my message today is, Where in the World Are You Going? Because I want to talk today, we talked about the message of the gospel, I want to talk today about the go part. What does, what does that look like when we go? What, what happens in that? So here's what we know is true. It's all over scripture the concept of going. It's all over scripture. Old Testament, New Testament. There's this, this uh, mandate, this commission to go. We have a God who has set things in motion and is continually in motion. He's continually in pursuit. And really, our go is his go. Our go is what, what he's going with. We know that the, the word tells us that he so loved the world that he sent Jesus. So in, in essence, he so loved the world that he went. And so that's continually our mission as well. I love, there's a Psalm 84.5. It says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. There is something there is a blessing of the Lord when our heart is set on pilgrimage, when we acknowledge that we are serving a going God. We are serving a God who calls us to go, whether that's physically to go to another place or another land. He's moving forward. We see in scripture and in songs that we sing that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. That, that we are in we're in the process of a pilgrimage and there's a blessing that comes when we will choose to be sojourners and we'll choose to walk that out in this motion that God has set in place. Even when he created the original mandate for mankind in the garden, he established this, this garden, but it was never meant for them to just stay in this little place. From the very beginning, he was saying, go and make the rest of the world look like this. And that's, that's what he's restored to us, is, is that call 
to go and to reproduce his values, to reproduce what he has planted on the inside of us. So one of the things that I looked at as I was considering this whole concept of the call to go is where did Jesus say go? In, in scripture, as you look throughout, you know, where it says go, I had to go through a lot of, yeah, quotes in the, in the concordance. For this one, I used my paper concordance because I thought it'd be easier to see all the, all the different references. And some of them are, you know, they're not ones that we could use today. But, but all these places where Jesus said to go. And so I want to start out by talking about, first of all, what are we going from? Because it's really impossible, really. I was going to say difficult, but it's impossible to go somewhere else without leaving the place that you are right? You can't go without going from the place that you're in right now. And so we see these different instances where Jesus is telling people to go, and I'm looking at where is he, what is he telling them to go from? Because these are things we're going to have to be willing to leave behind to respond to the go that he's asking us to step into. And the first one that's, I think we all kind of know, I mean, we'll, you'll go, oh yeah, that's pretty obvious, is the number of times that Jesus said, after he encountered somebody, he said, go and sin no more. And so the first place we're going from is sin. We get to go from, we get to, to walk out of sin and compromise in our life. Don't be conformed anymore to the way of this world, but be transformed. That's, that's part of going. It's leaving behind this to go there. In fact, it's a whole lot easier. Here's another natural law. It's a lot easier to leave this if I go somewhere else. So the, the power of sin in our life is decreased when we're responding to the go. When we're responding to where the Lord's taking us, instead of focusing on where we've been. But we have a call to go from that place. I believe that what we're believing for on the earth, what we're believing for, for the church to step up into the place that she's meant to walk, is going to take a departure from compromise. It's going to take a departure. It's going to take a being set apart and being set aside. We've already been called to that. It's already, it's already in us. But we get to go from that. Not only when Jesus said when he encountered somebody, he wasn't telling them to do something that they couldn't do. He was saying, I have given you the power to go from sin so that you can step into what I have for you. So the first thing that he's calling us to go from is from sin, from compromise in our lives. And we can, we can it, it's, it's a joy to us that we can step out of that in our going. Another way, a place that we see when Jesus is calling somebody to go, um, well, here's, there's a couple of examples in Luke. Um, I think it's Luke 9. I think I wrote it for you, but not for me. (laughs) 
Well, we're not going to read all of Luke 9, but there's a bunch in Luke 9. One of the first things in that chapter is when he's sending out the 12. It says in chapter or verse 1, he called his 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. One of the things is he was saying, go, and he was releasing them. He was saying, go from comfort. Travel light. <laughs> go from comfort, from the things that you want to have with you so that you feel comfortable. Later on in that, in that same chapter, there's a, there's a couple of, uh, at the end of the chapter, my heading says, the cost of discipleship in verse 57, chapter 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. How many of you have said that? I've said that. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said, no one having his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus, that's not very nice. Part of it is he's saying, if you want to go where I'm going, you need to leave comfort behind. There are things that you have to leave. I think this is probably one of the biggest obstacles for us. I think for some, sin, and, sin is an obstacle, but not really. The reality is that's been dealt with. Comfort, that's an obstacle. Partially because a little bit one of the things that sometimes was, was um, modified in our gospel in the seed was a little bit of a thought that our comfort is actually part of what we get out of the gospel. That there's a little bit of a thought that we've, we've taken the reality of the fullness of the presence of God and somehow thought, it's kind of a measure of how much I'm really in the Lord by how much comfort I have. <laughs> and I don't really see that anywhere in Scripture. He's saying, following me is not a journey of comfort, it's a journey of obedience and joy. How many of you believe that you can have joy without comfort? I don't know, I'm not sure if I've tried it yet. But I'd like to try, because I think you can have joy without comfort. I've met a whole lot of people who have joy without comfort. And so part of what we are going from is our dependence on comfort. Paul, when he talks about what he endured for the sake of his go, do you know that Paul was well-respected? Paul had a comfortable life. Before Jesus, he, 
he had influence and, and even wealth. He had things that, that he didn't have after he followed the go of the gospel. So Paul is talking about you know, the, the different places where he's saying, here's what I've endured for the gospel, shipwreck and lashings and stoning and being imprisoned and, and being run out of town. And, and, and he says, and yet I know that nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus. This was, this was his, if anybody could say, I'm not sure if Jesus is loving me right now. It, could, it was Paul in the midst of everything that he was dealing with. But we kind of sometimes measure our closeness to the love of Jesus by our comfort, by what's being added to our life or, or what we're experiencing. The other piece of comfort is convenience. The go of the gospel is not convenient. You know, it's interesting in our culture, we will pay for convenience, won't we? Like if somebody wants to sell you on their product, one of the methods they're going to use is convenience. Because like that has high value for us. But oftentimes our obedience to go is not convenient. It's, it's really, it comes at the worst time when, when we're doing something else that, that we, we feel like, oh, but I need to do this or I'm trying to accomplish this. Or, and so one of the things as we leave behind comfort is convenience. One of the things that I believe the Lord's developing in his people, and we've seen it really across the world is awakening something in us that is so fully convinced of the power of the gospel, so full of the love and pursuit of God for people that there is nothing we won't do to go in whatever that looks like. We're going to talk about the different ways to go. But there's nothing that we won't do. There's nothing we won't endure for the sake of being able to bring the seed of the gospel, the transformation that we carry with us. But we have to be willing to go from comfort and from convenience. And then, of course, the, the most famous go that Jesus had that we talk about is the go of the Great Commission. That's kind of what we're basing this, this theme on is the reality that Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. The reality is, is that without the Great Commission, we really don't have a definition for the purpose of the church. This was the, the launching of the mission statement of the church. If a church has any other mission statement besides this one, <laughs> I'm not sure what it's doing. 
That's what unifies us on, on even on Sunday mornings as there's churches meeting all over the city. The thing that we're unified around is this reality that we have all been commissioned to disciple nations. We've been commissioned to go. And, you know, yes, there's great purpose in our, in our intimacy with Jesus. The, the coming together for the sake of just being in his presence and having that intimacy. Although I would hope that the most intimacy you have with Jesus doesn't happen here on Sunday morning. We've talked about that before, that, that my husband and I are not adverse to PDA, public displays of affection. My husband? Sure. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. He was waiting for that. So we aren't adverse to that, but the intimacy that we experience with one another in public is nothing compared to what we experience when it's just us. That's my son. Eyes on Jesus, thoughts on Jesus. The point is that our... Intimacy with him on a Sunday morning hopefully doesn't hold a candle to the intimacy we have in our, in our own time with him. But So yes, there's a benefit to that intimacy that we have with him in worship. There's a benefit to the gathering of believers proclaiming and worshiping who he is and, and singing that together. That corporate worship is powerful. There is a benefit, there's something beautiful about the prayer of the saints coming together and when we gather and we agree in prayer and that, that unity. But the reality is all of that has a greater purpose and it's the great commission. It's to further the pursuit of God for people. He is pursuing people. And he caught us. <laughs> and now all that we do that really is ultimately so that more people would come to know who he is. That great commission we talked about, it's the renewal of the mandate in the garden, the restoration of, of that purpose. One thing that they're, they're finding, because right now there's a lot of talk about the next generation of the church, that there, there's a generation that's essentially leaving the church and one of the things that they talk about is that kids that grow up in a church without the context of the Great Commission will always kind of have a why as it relates to Christianity. Why? Why? Why obedience? Why gathering on Sunday? Why is that important? Or whenever you gather. I don't think there's anything magic about Sundays. Just want to say. But why, you know, why do we gather together? Why? live in this different way. Ultimately, it's because of this. Because the word says when we live in this different way, we give testimony to the reality of who Jesus is. And it draws people to him. And it, it, it introduces to them who he is. What's interesting is that they also see that when the church is in the midst of spiritual awakening, it's very much focused on the go. 
There's, a, there's an outward movement of the church when there's spiritual awakening happening. And in between those times of spiritual awakening, there's this sort of inward focus of building itself and its programs. And its... But what we're believing for is that the Lord's awakening something in us that reminds us that the context of the Christian life really is this go. So... <clears throat> I mean, I kind of answered the question, but the next question, this is, that was all, you know, the, about the go. And now I want to talk about why are we going? And part of it is because we're sent. <laughs> because we were told we were sent to go. How many of you have ever said to one of your kids, uh, go tell your brother that dinner's ready? And then they sit right where they are, and they go, Josiah, dinner's ready. And I go, no, I told you. I could have done that. I told you to go tell him. Well, one of the reasons we go is because we were told. We were sent. It's part of our obedience. We've been commissioned by him. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against uh, trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We have been given the ministry of this reconciliation between God and man. Can you believe he trusts us with that? He trusts us with that. What a privilege and an honor that he trusts us with this seed of transformation and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So this concept of being ambassadors, that we, are, we come and we speak on behalf of our kingdom that we're part of, the kingdom of God. This is why we go, because we're the ambassadors that have been sent to speak on behalf of this kingdom. This is why we're pilgrims, because we have a kingdom that we belong to that isn't this kingdom that we're living in. How blessed are we that we got stationed in this kingdom, in this country, from that kingdom to this country? How blessed are we <laughs> that we got stationed in a, in a place where we can share the gospel freely without threat of death or imprisonment? But he's entrusted that message to us and he's planted us here. This is why we go and we carry the message of the gospel. This is what he cares about. This is the reality, you know, we've talked about this before, that why when we come to the knowledge of Jesus, don't we just go up to heaven? Like, okay, I, I, I've, it's a done deal. I'm committed to Jesus. Great. In the door you go. No, because he sent us in the world. The prayer of uh, Jesus in John 17 that Pastor Bob preached from, he said, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. Why, Jesus? 
That would have been so much easier. No, because he still has a mission. He still has a mission on the earth. So he says, I don't ask that you take him out of the world. I've heard it put this way. We are the hose in the mud puddle that's turned on. You get it? So, so what happens if our hose isn't turned on? Mud gets in the hose. <laughs> but when we're in actively pursuing the going, we're doing what we're meant to do. Some of you that are into science and physics right now are telling me or with your eyes that maybe water wouldn't go into the hose even if it was turned off. But I'm just saying, it would, ultimately. Just go with me on it. I'm not saying it like it's scripture or something. But there is a reality that he has, he has on purpose sent us. That's why we go, because that's what we're here for. I have known many people who have loved and served the Lord for a long time in their life, and they talk about the fact that they're still here to mean God must still have something for me to do. He's still making me, he, I'm still a minister of reconciliation here. That's why I'm still here. That's, our, that's what we need to connect with as it relates to why do we go? Do we go because we feel guilty? No. Do we go because we feel like we can't be a good Christian if we don't go? Do we share the gospel? When I talk about going, we recognize I don't mean all of us going on mission trips all the time, right? You are on a mission trip, one big lifelong mission trip. And like it or not, this is your team. <laughs> I like it, I'm just saying. So here's, uh, oh Lordy. Okay, so I'm gonna close with this, I think. Second Kings, this is why we go. Second Kings. Weird that I'm going to use an Old Testament scripture to talk about why we go. Just hang with me. Here's the setup for this. In this scripture, 2 Kings chapter 7, <clears throat> this is when the Syrians had laid siege against Samaria. And they had Samaria surrounded so that no food could get in. So no crops could be grown so there was a massive famine going on in the city, like horrible, horrible, awful, awful famine, where they're selling birds and whatever for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. The, the cost of food is ridiculous. It was so awful. You can read it if you want to. I'm not going to. It was so awful that they were eating their babies. So one of the, the discussions was there that there was a dispute around this. There was such a famine and such lack that they were eating their children. And this is, this is the context of this, this massive famine that's going on. Death and hopelessness and this reality that there's no way out. So outside the city, because they're not allowed in the city, are the lepers, are four lepers, and the lepers are talking amongst themselves and they're going, well, we can't stay here to die because they, they don't have any more access to food. And they said, well, we could try to go into the city, but there's famine there. There's nothing for us to eat there. So we're just going to die. So they decide instead that they're going to go to the enemy's camp, to the Syrians' camp, 
and see if they will just take them alive and then at least they'll live. And they go, well, they might just kill us, but they might take us alive. So they're doing the thing, on this hand, we're going to die. On this hand, we probably will die, but maybe we'll live. And so they go and, let's see, I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. They decide, we're going to go to this camp and see if we can somehow live. They rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army, and they had said to themselves, look, the king of Israel has hired uh, against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and they ate and drank and they carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid it. Then they came back and they entered another tent and they carried some from that tent also and they went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing what is right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. So we have this story of a land that is in famine. And these lepers, they stumble and they find a feast. And they begin to feast off the feast and they begin to take the treasures of it. And they realize this isn't right because we have found a feast and the city is still in famine. This is why we go. You have found a feast. You have found a feast. And we live in a city that's in famine all around us. We live amongst a people who is hopeless and desolate and who feel so much lack that they're doing awful things. And instead of judging that, we need to recognize, yes, we we judge it for what it is, but we need to recognize we have a feast And it is not right to withhold the good news. It's not right to remain silent. These lepers were as good as dead. They were dead. And what does the scripture tell us? That we've been brought from death to life. It's not right to withhold that from those that are still dying. (laughs) They stumbled upon the camp and realized God has already defeated the enemy. God has already defeated the enemy. It's not right that we would withhold that news from the rest of the city who thinks they're still in bondage and oppressed by the enemy. This is why we go. It isn't good what we're doing, they said, because we're experiencing a feast. And we get to bring a message that says, you don't have to live in famine. You can come and eat at this table. You don't have to live in famine. Now, one thing I want us to think about is if we need to realize it's not just a message about evangelism can be, we need to be doing this and we're not doing this enough. The best thing you can do for your evangelistic life is feast. 
If you don't feel like you're experiencing a feast right now, then we maybe need to consider what table we're eating at. Because we have a feast. We just sang about it all morning long. We have a feast. If you don't feel like you're in feast, and I'm not saying our circumstances are perfect. I'm saying that no matter what, I can be satisfied by the fullness of God in the presence of the Lord. We have a feast. When we have loss, we still have a feast. We don't grieve as those without hope. And then what happens is, if we're feasting, the natural outflow of that is the desire to share it. The natural outflow. We know this is true because when we find a product that we really, really like, what do we do? We share it. We're like, oh, you have to try this. Oh, have you eaten gluten-free? It's been doing amazing things for me. Everybody should eat gluten-free. I don't eat gluten-free, by the way. Oh, boy. Okay, so here's another one. We have, we have a, how many of you drink LaCroix? Okay, so we found this flavor that we really, really like. I promise this has something to do with Jesus. We found this flavor that we really, really like, but it's not in all the stores. And then sometimes when we go to the store, it's gone. And so we've sometimes like thought, we don't want to tell other people how much we like this flavor. Isn't that awful? But now we do tell other people. It's called beach plum, which isn't really even a real fruit, but... We like it. But anyway, the point is, when you find something that you really like, the natural outflow, when you're feasting, the natural outflow is to want to share it. And so that's what we can connect to. Feast on the love of God in your life. Feast on the hope of God in your life. Feast on the joy. Feast on his faithfulness. Feast on his peace. Because those that are in famine and lack all of those things, this is where it comes into play. Then they look at you and they say, I think you're eating something that I'm not. What is it that you're eating? And that's where the verse comes into play. Always be willing to give an answer for the hope that you have. The context of that verse was not to people whose lives were amazing and whose lives were, you know, The context of that verse was actually to people who were in trial and tribulation. And they're saying, uh, in Peter was saying, always be willing, able to give an answer for the hope that you have in the midst of that. Because we can feast. Even when it looks like famine around us, we have a feast. And we can't withhold that from people. So, Here's what we're going to do next week. Next week, we have a special week because we're going to take some time to bless and send Henry and Leslie. Um, So for those of you who didn't know, they're moving to Tennessee, and they are longtime beloved members of Living Waters, part of the founding leaders here. And so we're going to take some time to do that. The other thing that I want to do is I want to have a time of testimony next week. I want to have a time of people testifying to the feast that they're eating in the Lord, to the feast that they've found.
So it could be a, a testimony of when you came to salvation and how the Lord brought you from death to life. But the reality is the gospel is continually at work in our life providing a feast for us in the midst of our, everything that's going on. So here's my two, my two things. If you're going to share a testimony next week, it has to be about you. It has to be about something that God is doing in your life because sometimes we want to tell somebody else's story and, and I don't want that. I want us to tell our story, especially because we also live stream and it's really nobody else's business, someone else's story. So I would like for, it needs to be about you, a way that the Lord is, that you're feasting and it's going to have to be like three to five minutes because we want to hear from some different people. So I'm telling you now, so you can practice this week how to talk about your feast in three to five minutes, okay? So one of the reasons I want to do that is because sometimes we think that to preach the gospel, when, when we hear, uh, be ready to give an answer for the hope you have, we think we have to lay out a theological you know, presentation of the gospel, a defense of the Christian faith. And the reality is that oftentimes what Jesus did and the way that the gospel was promoted when Jesus was people just went and said, I encountered a man. Think about the woman at the well. I encountered a man and he told me everything I ever did. And then the city goes out to hear from the man. <laughs> and so we need to recognize there is power, there is a gospel presentation in your testimony of the feast that you found. There's a gospel presentation of your testimony that I got there and I found out that the enemy was already defeated in this area in my life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please stand. So Lord, I thank you for the transformational seed of your gospel in each one of these people. I thank you, Lord, that you trust us with this ministry of reconciliation. I just thank you, Lord, that each person today goes with that commissioning of the ministry of reconciliation. Each person today goes with the testimony of the places that they are feasting in the midst of famine. We ask you, Lord, that you would make us bold to share the feast that you've given us. We say we cannot hide this truth. We cannot hide the reality that we are feasting and that the enemy has already been defeated. And so I just release that message through the testimony of each one of these lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.